Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Storylines Gathering. We might be in a, a race against the rain today, so we're going to get at it. Welcome. Good morning, good morning, another beautiful Sunday. Welcome to the gathering and welcome to Lincoln Township Park. Hey, just a quick announcement. In the rare, rare case uh, where unpredictably the weather changes in such a way that might make things a little bit more wet, 
mid-gathering, we've got a plan for that, right? So we're gonna soldier through, we're gonna ask you to soldier with us. In the rare, unpredictable, it's not gonna happen today. It's not gonna happen today. In the future, if that were to happen, our plan is to soldier through until we can't, okay? So soldier through, if we're, our ask is to soldier through with us until you can't. Um, can we can we talk about this crouch stance you've got? Yeah, yeah. Like this it. is this is just just wanted to. Really, I don't want to mess with your microphone. She sounds no, so good. good. I don't want to. Don't 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 break what ain't broken. Um, what was I going to say next? Uh, two weeks from now, Jan June sixth. Can you believe this? It's graduation Sunday. Our seniors are graduating from high school. That is unbelievable. That we're already there. Uh, so class of 2021, we want to celebrate them and we have something special planned for them. I kind of have kind of more of a squat now, Mike, instead of a crouch, so <laughs> this feels a little bit better. Um, if you have a senior that's connected to you and to us, we would love to celebrate them on June 6th. So we have these little really, really formal cards with name uh, and email. Um, and your names, and so we'll get in contact with you. Next week is Impact Sunday, so we will not be here, okay? Whether or regardless, we will not be here next Sunday. We're gonna meet at the new Mosaic location, which is the old value land, um, right behind, uh, right over by the new Arby's, okay? So we're gonna meet there at 10.30. If you'd like to participate in that, you can sign up at either Hub, or you can sign up online at storylinechurch.com, which is also both of those places is where uh, you can get any information about giving, serving opportunities, connecting with us and getting on our email list. So make sure you check out the hub. I'm, my back is really, really not feeling great right now. So I'm going to stand up straight and y'all have a wonderful morning. Stretch myself too thin, try to be everything. Don't know how to love. I care way too much. I need a thicker skin to let nobody in. Don't know how to guard my tears and my loss. Dark nights are silent. Teach me up, but day comes and everything's enough. I'm free, but I'm fragile. I'm happy, but I'm worried. I'm set up, but I'm so afraid. I get pins and needles when I think about it, it catches me every day. I got scars on my soul, but I'm never shown. I cried in the morning, but you'll never know. I should let it be, it's just my insecurities, I should let it be, it's just my insecurities, I try to raise my voice, get clouded by the noise, tripped up more than twice, those fools saw me right, I don't know how to show all of my painful flaws wish i can open up taking the love the dark nights the silence eats me up but day comes and everything's enough i'm free but i'm fragile i'm happy but i'm worried i'm set up but i'm so afraid I 
get pins and needles when I think about it. It catches me every day. I got scars on my soul, but I'll never show. I cried in the morning, but you'll never know. Yeah, I should let it be. It's just my insecurities. Oh, I should let it be. It's just my insecurities. Every freckle on my skin has a reason. Every scar that I have is worth bleeding. Every curl on my head is a treasure. And little by little, I get better. I'm free, but I'm fragile. I'm happy, but I'm worried. I'm set up, but I'm so afraid. I get pins and needles when I think about it. It catches me every day. I got scars on my soul, but I'll never show. I cried in the morning, but you'll never know. I should let it be. It's just my insecurities. I should let it be. It's just my insecurities. Oh, I should let it be. It's just my insecurities. So good. Wow. So much talent up here. And you, Mike, too. Mike, too. Oh my goodness. So it's uh, so good to be together. Thank you so much for being here. I, I realized last Sunday that I've been saying that for years. It's so good to be together. And, um, but I mean it now more than ever. Gosh, this is so great. So thank you for being here. It matters. It really does matter. Your presence makes a difference. Mike Cook and I talk about that actually all the time. Like how weird it would be for us to do this, just us, and no one's here. And so thank you so much for being here. Um, it really does make a difference. It makes the experience richer when we come together to do this because I think a lot of it has to do with what we talked about last week, which is whose we are. Um, because of whose we are, we are all children of God. And so when we come together, really amazing and beautiful things can happen. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like that. I don't always feel like a child of God. Maybe you don't either, which is why I think we're going to take the direction that we're going to take this morning. You know, the overwhelming tendency um, of human experience kind of goes like this. We wake up every morning and we feeling like who we were yesterday. And thank goodness for that, because can you imagine like starting fresh every day? It's like, you know, that there's a film like that, like 50 First Dates or something where she forgets who she is every day and has to start over. But starting over from scratch every day would be awful. But there are some downsides when we wake up every morning feeling like exactly who we were yesterday. And here's one of the big downsides. It carries with it this strong implication that it's just today's going to be just more of the same. Like, I'm going to be the same. The, the world's going to be the same. Like, we're bound to live in a certain way. And there really isn't anything that we can do about it, that can be done about it. And that can be incredibly disheartening for people. I know it can be for me. 
Which is why, it's yet another reason why I get so excited for the chance for us to be together and to consider Jesus and his gospel of grace because I think it can be so powerful in our lives because it goes something like this. Um, You know, I'm often asked, can you kind of sum up what it is that you're trying to do? And the answer is no, but I'll give it a try anyways. But the gospel of grace kind of goes something like this. Because the source of our life the source of all of life, the source of existence itself is good. Because God is gracious, like unconditional, he's unconditionally loving, uh, accepting, forgiving, inclusive. The message in that, the inherent message in that is don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. We are not chained to our past, and we are not being channeled into this predetermined future. Like in this present moment, every present moment, we have the opportunity to accept that grace, to accept our acceptance, to remember whose we are. And when we do that, we're tapping into the source of life, this gracious God, and we're stepping into the goal of life, which is living like God lives, graciously. And when we do that, a number of things kind of happen simultaneously, all at once. One is we dramatically improve the experience that we're having in our real life right now, in our real everyday life. Another thing that is we, we over time, we increase our capacity to create and contain and communicate joy. And the third thing that happens is we truly make the world a better place when we're tapping into that source of grace and then stepping in to the goal of grace. And so when we come together on Sunday mornings, this is our opportunity to investigate these possibilities of what it might look like, what it might live like to do that to tap into the source of grace, to step into the goal of grace, this God of grace. So this is not about answers. I had someone contact me last week and they said, I'd like to know exactly what it is that you, the storyline believes. And I said, me too. (laughs) I would love to know. You let me know when you figure that out, okay? And I I told them, I said, this is not, it's not about answers. It's not about statements of faith, creeds, liturgies, rituals, or ceremonies. Now, those things have their place. There's nothing wrong with them. But living in and living out the grace of God is first and foremost about getting really honest with ourselves about ourselves and about our lives and about life in general. And, And I don't know what that's like for you, but for me, doing that is really hard because it's really, it can be really painful to get that honest. And yet, I'm speaking for myself again, Jesus is like the breakthrough for me. He's this leverage point. He is the game changer, not religion, not my faith, not my beliefs, not my opinions or what I think And not even, to be honest with you, like Christianity and all the theological doctrine and dogma that goes along with that. Again, all of those things have their place, but what I'm finding in my life is that they only take their proper place in my life when I have a very real, like, come-to-Jesus moment with 
Well, Jesus, I guess. <laughs> okay? And as I've been reading through Luke, preparing for these messages, uh, we're reading through the book of Luke together this summer. As I've been preparing for these talks, this is what's been happening to me. After following Jesus for 35 years, I'm finding myself encountering him again in a way that tempts me to hope. It tempts me to hope that tomorrow doesn't have to look like yesterday and that who I've been doesn't determine who I'm going to be. We, we asked Kesia to sing that song, Insecurity, this morning because I think it so poignantly, so powerfully diagnoses the human condition. Here, here's the lines. I'm free, but I'm fragile. I'm happy, but I'm worried. I'm all set up, but I'm so afraid. So why, why can't I just let it be? And it comes down to this. It's just my insecurities. I think that's so true. I mean, do you, do you resonate with that? Do you, do you find yourself rehashing conversations or winning arguments in your imagination? I'm really good at that. Or resenting all of the good that you do that goes unnoticed, regretting some of the bad that you've done. Or maybe like wondering how in the world people can be so dumb and reckless and arrogant and ignorant all at the same time. Now, I know that I don't do that, but maybe you do, okay? Now, where is all that coming from? Why does that happen inside of us so often? Could it be our insecurities? You know, the psychologist Carl Jung pointed out that most of the suffering in life, most of the suffering in life is unnecessary because he claimed it was self-inflicted. And get this, he said this self-inflicted suffering, where does it come from? It comes from the things that we do to cover up or compensate for our insecurities. What I'm hoping for this morning is that we might see an experience in just two quick verses about Jesus that his really good news can change the nature of our relationship with ourselves, break the chains of our past, and begin to cultivate a richer future. So last Sunday, this is where we, what we talked about. We saw how a 12-year-old Jesus started making unbelievable claims about himself, that he had this personal, unique, one-of-a-kind, different and deeper relationship with God than anyone has ever had. He called God his father. And we've already seen that in Luke, in the book of Luke, we've already seen in the first two chapters that because of something Jesus has accomplished, and we haven't talked about that yet, and we will, like what exactly has he accomplished? But because of that, he, um, what, uh, what Jesus has accomplished, um, God's grace is now available to everyone, everywhere, every day. Which means that we all are invited to have that kind of parent-child relationship with God. So today, this morning, we're going to move forward in the life of Jesus. Um, he's now 30 years old. It's just in the next chapter. This is a fast-moving story, apparently. And so this is from Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. This is what the Bible says. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice 
came down from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now there are several things happening here, but this morning I would like to focus on just this one sentence that God the Father says to Jesus. And it's three things in one sentence. You are my, you are my son, you are my child, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Three things. Now remember this invitation of Jesus is that we too can have this parent-child relationship with God, which means that these three affirmations are also for us. Now, how do these three things change our relationship, not just with God, but with ourselves, with our past, and with the future? That's what I'm hoping that we can maybe gain some ground on. How do those three affirmations change our relationship, not just with God, and not just with ourselves, but with our past and with our future? So the first thing that I want to point out, and this is a side note, but it's an important one, okay? As much as we want all of life to be this quick fix, like take this pill, this scheme or realization that we come across um, and instantaneously uh, it changes us, it changes life, it changes the world. Real life doesn't work that way. And it didn't even work that way for Jesus, apparently. Because here we are, 18 years later, 18 years later, after Jesus makes this earth-shattering, revolutionary claim that he has this special, one-of-a-kind, deeper and different relationship with God, that God is his Abba, his daddy, okay? 18 years later before he moves into like the next level of engagement and experience with God. That is a process. That's a process that I think the Bible is encouraging us to respect and to look for in us and not to expect something else. New life grows in us. It isn't magic. Now, Jesus in this affirmation, he gets this incredible, these incredible affirmations from God through the power of the Holy Spirit, which makes you wonder about this power like, what kind of power is this? Now, and this is one of the things that um, I, I typically like sci-fi. I watch a lot of sci-fi. But one of the things that I hate about these superhero movies, you know, there's only about 10,000 of them now, and one comes out every week, is that I, it doesn't re deal realistically, I think, with superpowers, okay? I, I caught myself watching Spider-Man the other day. I think it was like Spider-Man 17 or something, right? They just keep making these with different Spider-Mans. I'm totally confused. I cannot follow the thread at all. But I've seen enough to be able to pick out this formula, and it goes like this. All the superhero movies, regular person has this extraordinary thing happen to them, like a spider bite for Spider-Man, or Captain Marvel is too close to some kind of explosion, or gamma rays, you know, for, for the Incredible Hulk. And then, even they are like shocked and astounded by the superpowers that they now have because of this exposure. It is, in essence, magic. That's what it is. But what's happening here with Jesus is not magic. It's not magic. Jesus' power comes from the Holy Spirit in this three-part affirmation. You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The power of the Holy Spirit for Jesus isn't a magical superpower. It is the confirmation of his identity, of whose he is. 
That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is. So let's look at these three affirmations from God to his children. All right, the first is, you are my child. That's the first part. You are my child. And with our new identity as a child of God, we have the opportunity to experience this like inherent dignity or honor, if you will. Now, you know, when, when you grow up in a really small town like this one, as a part of a really big family like mine, you learn really early on that everyone knows your last name. Like, especially if it's a unique last name, Gathright, right? And this just happened to me last week. Someone said, are you related to... And I always have to read their body language before I ask, answer this question like, well, and so my standard answer is, maybe, <laughs> you know? Um, if I say yes too quickly, I can see it on their face like, oh, so you are a hillbilly then, okay? It just gives me away, right? So I have to be very cautious. But in one area of life that I cared a lot about as a kid, having that last name actually really worked out because it actually seemed like, to me, every baseball field and basketball court I stepped on, uh, like someone knew my dad or my uncles. They knew whose I was. And because of that, I often had like this built-in like place this, this thing reserved for me. I had this dignity or this honor. So even as a little kid, because of that, I, I felt like this, the pressure lifted off of me. I did not have the pressure to prove myself because of whose I was. And when, I, when we really live in this grace of being a child of God, we can have this sense of dignity and honor. And it gives us an incredible power over one of the most powerful and most common insecurities in all of life. And that is the need for affirmation and acclaim from others, right? That just melts away because we're already honored because of whose we are. We're a child of God. So the acclaim of others isn't necessary and the criticism of others isn't devastating. That alone right there is an amazing superpower, right? I mean, it can change our relationship with ourselves. Because not, you're not stepping into every situation having to prove yourself. I mean, what a relief. A second thing that we can have besides honor is access. Now, this, this is my child whom I love. Second thing, whom I love. There's a great scene in the TV show, uh, Modern Family. I love this show. It's not on the air anymore, but the husband, Phil, gets tickets to a Laker game, gets great seats to this Lakers game. He's right behind the bench. And so his wife, Claire, has all of her friends over, and they're watching this basketball game on TV to see if they can see her husband, Phil. And sure enough, there he is, right behind the Lakers. And she's so excited, and everybody's cheering. Oh, there he is. And so she goes, well, shh, shh, she quiets everybody down, and she says, hey, listen, listen, I'm going to call him. So she gets out her phone, she dials his number, and it's ringing. And right there on TV, you see Phil, he reaches for his phone, right, to see who's calling. He sees her name and he goes, eh, and puts his phone away. <laughs> oh, I looked at my, we were watching that, with, I was watching that with my wife, and I was like, honey, I would never do that to you. Never. Always answer, every time. See, here's the thing, but Phil was unavailable, right? He was busy. He had something more important 
going on. Claire did not have access to him. And you can understand that, right? I mean, if you're Phil, like, I'm at the Laker game. I don't want to know what you want me to pick up from the grocery store, right? But I know, I know for some of us, I've talked to a lot of us, we've worked at home during the pandemic, and it wasn't so bad. I mean, some of us even, maybe on the whole, prefer it. But for many of us, working from home was difficult for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons, or two, or three, or some of you, four or five of the reasons are about this tall. That's why it was so hard to work from home, because they're running all over the place. How do you get anything done with these little people? They keep interrupting, right? From a scratched knee, to a ladybug that they found, to the doll that they lost. It's constant, because our children have total access. They have total access to us. See, one of the things that we talk about a lot when we're together is that Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He actually came to end them. Now, I know that sounds so counterintuitive, but it's true. He didn't come to start a new, like the right religion. He came to end the need for religion. And this aspect of the Holy Spirit's power like unfettered access to God, is one great example because here's what it's saying. Apparently, God isn't screening our calls. And what a cool thing to discover. Like, he isn't waiting up in heaven to see if we get it right or if we believe right or if we behave right or if we light the right number of candles or dress up or clean up or face east or whatever or ask him in the right way. He isn't like, and this is what I was thinking about when I was thinking about access. He isn't like the, this, the Wizard of Oz who's in this far off country, you know, in this far off place. And we can only find him when we get to the end of religion's yellow brick road. my future life 
What do you think you'll do then? I bet they'll shoot down your plane. They'll take you a couple of vodka tonics to get you on your feet again. You know you can't hold me forever. I didn't sign up for you. Not a present for your friends to open. This boy's too young to be singing the blues. So goodbye, yellow brick road, where the dogs of society. You can't plant me in your penthouse Going back to my plow Back to an out in the woods Hunting the horny black I'm gonna decide So good. Thank you, Morgan. It's beautiful. So we all know this. There are the, you know, the howls of society and, and of organized religion that tell us it has to be and it has to look a certain way, that this is how God works and you, you better fit in or you're out, right? But one of the things that Luke is showing us in this account of the life of Jesus is that God doesn't work like that. He doesn't work the way society says he works. He doesn't work the way religion says he works. He isn't stuck in a special building or, or hiding behind a curtain. Our future really does lie beyond the yellow brick road of society and religion that says we have to push this button and pull this lever and face this direction and wear these clothes and do this, that, blah, 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 and over and over and over. That's not what it's saying. That's not what Luke is saying. This is not how you gain access to God. No. Because we aren't his workers, we aren't his slaves, we aren't his congregants, parishioners, adherents. We are his children. It's an amazing thing. I mean, just soak that in. We are his children. That means total access. Now, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to go to a special building or perform certain rituals. These can be really meaningful. It just means that while these rituals and ceremonies may be helpful, to us or for us, they have nothing to do with our access to God. Nothing. They have nothing to do with our access to God. Okay? The Holy Spirit's power isn't magic in that sense. It's transformative. What's going on is it changes our identity. You are my child, whom I love. And being a child of God means we're not just honored with no pressure to prove ourselves to others. It means that we have 24-7 access to God with no pressure to prove ourselves 
to him. It's an astounding thing. That is a life, that can be a life-changing reality if we live into that. The third way, the third power, that the, Holy, that the way that the Holy Spirit descends into our lives through our new identity as a child of God comes with this phrase, with you I am well pleased. It gives us this ultimate security. We mentioned this last Sunday that like parent love is the most unshakable of all loves. And for those of us who are parents, you get it. For those of us who are just children, you may not. Okay, but trust me on this. Just follow along and see what you think. Here's, here's how different kind of loves go, right? Like friend love, it, it can come and go. If a friend becomes unfriendly, they're out. Romantic love, it, it can fade. But parent love is totally unique. And in fact, it works in the opposite direction. Every parent will get this. I, I spoke with a parent this week, actually, whose child is struggling. And, and some of it is the inevitable suffering of life. And some of it is the self-inflicted nonsense. Like the unnecessary suffering that comes from this child's insecurities. But, but this parent isn't angry at their child, rejecting them or shunning them. Because when your child acts up or acts out, is being unfriendly, disobeying, flailing, or failing. As a parent, your heart breaks. It opens up even more. And you lock in on that child even more. That's how a parent-child love works. It actually runs in the opposite direction of every other kind of love. Because, and here's why, as your child, they are totally secure in your life. It's not this transactional thing that you've got going with them. It's their status in your life and in your heart. And that's what we're seeing here. Our belonging to God isn't based on our believing or our behaving. That's the remarkable thing that Luke is trying to show us. It isn't about who we are. It is about whose we are. I stumbled into this truth myself as a new parent. And I could tell you three separate stories about three different ways that this truth just washed over me with each of our three children. It was in different ways. But with our youngest daughter, Emily, it hit me when a teenage girl was holding her at a Bible study at Josh White's house, just around the corner. We're sitting on the floor in a circle, People were passed, Emily was about a year old. People were passing her around this circle. She was super fun to hold. And, um, and by this time, we knew, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, that Emily's life was going to be very difficult and very short. And this high school girl says to me, Mr. G, you and Lisa, like, you clearly love Emily so much, just as much as Jimmy and Jenna. Why is that? Like, she can't do anything. She'll never be able to do anything. She can't ride a bike. She can't win a game. She can't get an A. So she can't have all these victories. She can't take out the trash. She can't do the dishes. She can't do anything for you. And yet you love her just as much. How can that be? And it just, it hit me. Just, it just 
hit me like a ton of bricks. It's a, a thought I'd never had before. And I found myself saying to this young lady, you're right, I do love her just as much. I love her because she's mine. I don't have another reason, and I don't need one. That's what's happening here. It, it's the same thing as me saying, with Emily, I am well pleased. Such a powerful reality if we could just accept it. When people ask me where does storylines belonging before believing come from, I often tell them this story about Emily. And when, when we recognize as a community of faith in God's grace that our belonging to God as children, when we recognize that, when we refuse to play the religious like exclusion performance or purity game to earn honor or deserve access to God, when we base our belonging on nothing more than the gracious reality that we are all God's children, we are embodying as a community, we are acting out, we are displaying, we are practicing, we are celebrating the core of all of existence, the source and the goal of all of life. Grace. Grace. God loves us not because of how we behave, not because of what we believe, not even because of who we are, but because of whose we are. We belong to him because we are his. He doesn't have another reason, and he doesn't need one. That is total security. These are the superpowers that the Holy Spirit is offering us, the honor, access, and security of being a child of God. Living in these realities can begin to change our relationship with ourselves, our past, and our future. And they also can change our relationship with everyone else as we live them out. You see, when God says to Jesus, you are my son in whom I love, with you I am well pleased, he is actually cutting and pasting two different prophecies from the Old Testament together. And I didn't know this until this week, right? This is amazing. One comes from Psalm 2. And in this prophecy in Psalm 2, it talks about the coming king. And God pro proclaims this coming king as my son. And he will conquer the world for God. That's Psalm 2. And, and that is, you know, this is my son. But the second half of the prophecy, with whom I am well pleased, comes from Isaiah 42. And that's a completely different prophecy. That prophecy isn't about a conquering king. It's about this mysterious figure in the Old Testament called the suffering servant. And to this day, in the Jewish religion, they have no idea how to put these two prophetic figures together. The conquering king and the suffering servant. How can you be a conquering king, and a suffering servant. Well, in Jesus, they come together. And that is what we're going to see when we look at what he accomplished. The point for now, however, is living in the grace of being a child of God comes with the superpower to live it out. It comes with the superpower to live it out. In fact, and I hate to do this, but to quote a Spider-Man movie, with great power comes great responsibility. 
And it comes us with this great responsibility of extending to everyone, everywhere, every day, God's prophetic voice. You are my child, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. That is not just God's voice from heaven to us. It is God's voice to the world through us. I have a voice Started out as a whisper Turned into a scream Made a beautiful noise Shoulder to shoulder marching in the stream When you're all alone it's a quiet breeze But when you band together it's a choir A thunder and rain Now we choice cause I have a voice I'm not living to die don't stand in a wasteland look at me in the eye stop living a lie and stand up next to me you gotta put one foot in front of the other with hand in hand hold on to each other wanna rejoice you I think you're right. I might have ruined that if I would have joined in. So thanks so much. Good advice. That was good. 
So here's the line from that song. Oh my goodness, it's so good. It's loud and it's clear. It's stronger than your fear. It's believing you belong. This is what Jesus and his gospel of grace claims, that we belong already. It's not based on what we believe or how we behave or even who we are. It's based on whose we are. And we are children of God. And living in this grace really can change us. And living out that grace really can change the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, this opportunity to be together. Thank you for the rain holding off. We thank you for um, your message that we are children of God who are just because of that and that alone, because of whose we are, we have honor and access and security. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to trust in that, that that might break the chains of our past, that it might open up our future to live in that. And then I pray that you would give us the opportunity, give us the eyes to see the opportunity to live it out, to share your prophetic voice with a world that's so desperate to belong, even with all of our insecurities. And I pray that as we leave here this morning, that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks. We hope to see you next Sunday at Impact. Thanks.